host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. We are trying something totally new, totally different. Today, we are going to have headlines with Casey Hall, my very, very good friend from Mellard West High School. Casey, how are you today, buddy? I'm good, Marty. How about you? I'm doing okay. Um, got my notes together. Uh, this is something we're gonna we're gonna try this about once a month or so. Um, and uh, what we the the idea that we have for you know is we're gonna take stuff that is in the headlines basketball wise, and and we'll see where we're at four or five weeks from now, and how can we equate what is in the headlines. Are you annoyed by that yet? Not yet. Okay, all right. <laughs> what, what's in the headlines? Uh, and talk about it and how it relates to coaching, okay? And, and how it relates largely to the, to the large part of our audience, which is high school basketball coaches. Um, and I called up my good friend Casey here. And I kind of pitched this idea to him, and he was like, yeah, let's jump in. So um, to verify, we talked about this about a week ago. Yeah, probably. Probably. And we have not spoken nor texted or had any communication with one another since then, right? Correct. Okay. So what we are talking about today, we have not planned in any way, shape, or form Casey's got his list. I've got my stuff here of a bunch of things that I thought it would be interesting to cover. Obviously, we're covering the one thing that we can talk about in sport right now, other than Bundesliga soccer or, or uh, what's the fighting thing called? MMA? Uh, UFC. UFC, yes. Ultimate Fighting Championships. The Last Dance, of course. Um, and just coaching things that that the, we as, as high school coaches can take from the last dance and apply to our teams. Um, so, Casey, you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. You're ready. Okay. Um, I'm going to let you go first. You bring up the first point, and let's see where it takes us. And we'll see how many how many of your points match up with, with my points. Let's, let's alternate back and forth. You bring up something we'll talk about for a little bit, and then I'll bring up something we go back and forth. How about that? Okay, that works. All right. What do you got? All right. My first one is from episode one when they're talking about Michael Jordan where he was kind of not known at all. And he goes, uh, someone calls North Carolina and says, hey, you need to take a look at this kid. And they show up there, and he shows up with Roy Williams, Dean Smith. I mean, two Hall of Fame basketball coaches, yep. two of the best ever to do it. And they're just amazed at like how athletic he is. And that he never played, didn't didn't make the team as a freshman, was on JV, and had to work so hard just to get there. And the way he was so competitive every day at that camp, and then it carried over when he signed with them into practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just shows that the more hard work you put in, the more you want to be better than someone else how far that can carry you just not from the high school level to the elementary level, but it can carry you all the way to the NBA to be, I mean, if you want to be that good, you can be an NBA champion. Um, and I, I, 
one thing that I love that Roy Williams said was just how Michael Jordan, and I think this can carry over to any high school kid that wants to play basketball is, um, he's the only, Michael Jordan, he says is the only player that could ever turn it on, on or off. And as Roy Williams stated, he goes, he never freaking turned it off. Yeah. And that's one thing I think high school kids, especially because sometimes you could be the best player on your team by far, but you get in that sometimes when you're playing someone not to your level, you kind of turn it off a little bit. I think you always need to realize that you need to play 110 or whatever and leave that on button on all the time. Yeah. And you, sometimes we we think, you know, or sometimes players think that they're playing hard, but they could play harder. You know, they're, yep. they're they're going they're going hard enough to to be good to be the best player on the floor at that time. But are you going after that jugular? Are you going after it? And are you competing at everything that you're doing to to elevate everybody else around you? Right. And like Roy Williams said one day, I think Jordan said after practice that he wants to be the best player ever. And then Roy goes, well, you better work a lot harder every day to be the best player ever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's at practice, after practice, whenever, but you've got to continue to work to be that best player because right now you aren't. Yeah. And then James Worthy said that lasted about, what, two weeks or whatever, two or three weeks, (laughs) something like that. They'd go through a three-hour practice and Jordan would be like, hey, you, who wants to play one-on-one? Uh-huh. I mean, that that just shows that if you work hard, you can't just put in and expect to show up to practice for two hours. Most high school practices are and say, Oh, I'm, I'm good. And just go and leave. You've got to put in that extra time. Yeah. I, I kind of had something similar to that. Um, you know, that one, one great player can turn around an entire program, you know, and, you know, Gino Ariema says, you know, great, Coaches have to have great players, you know, but if you get that one great player, you can take that and, and build your program off of that one great kid or, or really good kid, you know, type of a thing and continue to build that. And, but, but you have to come across that. And I think that, you know, you've got to be putting in you as a, you as a coach have to put in that work to to let that great player know that you're going to be there to invest in in the program just as much as they want to invest in the game. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. You know. So I think that's that's a good lesson. I think that's a good lesson. How as a coach do you get kids to work the way Jordan did? I mean, no one's ever going to be Michael Jordan. Correct. Or LeBron, I mean. Or Casey Hall. Right. Well, I hope. <laughs> but I think uh, I think you just have to motiv- you have to find the right way to motivate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just getting to know them out not not just at basketball practice. I mean, sometimes you got to talk to them out. You have to talk to them outside. Talk to them before a game. Uh, and if you're in the school teaching, you can be able to do that. But you can do that more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you still got to find that way to connect to them personally on a personal point, not just through your two hours or whatever basketball practice or a basketball game. Mm-hmm. 
And I think getting to know them is key. And then finding things that, and having those one-on-ones where you find out what suits them best in a situation or what their best skill is to help the team out. Mm-hmm. And then give them a role. Make sure they know their role, yeah. I think, is very key. Not to go out there and say, well, don't be mean about it and say, well, you, you can't take the shot. you got to let them know, hey, is this the best shot for you at this time? Mm-hmm. Or is there some other – can we make five more passes or two more passes and get you the same shot where you're more in rhythm, you have your hands and feet together? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed with that. All right. Awesome point. All right. Here we go. Headlines. Sorry. I'm just playing with my new toy. So That's all right. <laughs> uh, my first headline. Ready? Yep. Michael Jordan, multi-sport athlete. It is possible to be good at more than one sport. And it's okay to encourage kids to play more than one sport. You know, I think they said Jordan played baseball up until his, at the end of his, I think he played through his junior year. He played, the only year he didn't play was his senior year because he was getting ready to go to North Carolina. Right. You know, and, and he was still, you know, yeah, some people say, well, Jordan kind of came out. He's still a McDonald's All-American, you know, I believe. And, and yes. you know, people people found out about him. But he was still playing other sports and doing other things. And I and I think that, you know, we as high school coaches, if, if you're an athlete, go play stuff. And if you're good enough, you're going to be good enough. You know, that, that was, that was um, you know, you're going to be found if you're good enough, whether you play it four months out of the year, six months out of the year, or 12 months out of the year. And I think it's better. I think there's more. I think part of the, probably part of the reason why Jordan was so driven in basketball was that he wasn't burnt out on it by the time he was 22, you know, or, or something like that, you know, that there was, there was that freshness to it. And, and he was still able to be found. And, and you know, I think another thing is, is if you're good enough, people will find you. Take a look at, 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 at Scottie Pippen. And Dennis Rodman, both NAIA players, yet they were found and they were they were good enough, you know. And if if you're good enough, you're gonna be found. You if you're if you're not good enough, you can go to every event ever in America, and doesn't matter if you're not good enough. Well, I mean, we both know this since we've coached. It's I mean, anymore you talk to any college coach, they want someone that's a multi-sport athlete. They don't want someone that's concentrated on just playing basketball mm-hmm. because are they going to get burnt out two years into their college career and step away? And then you're like, well, did I, did I waste a scholarship on somebody? And two years of development. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, I totally agree. I think, and I, I think at time, I mean, over the last few years, I think I've seen more multi-sport athletes, and I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I think you're seeing it more. I mean, I think it's becoming back to a popular thing, not I have to concentrate on one thing. Yeah. Um, but I still don't think it's where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and every circumstance is different. I mean, we both grew up in small towns, so being a multi-sport athlete was expected more out of just not being bored more, more than anything else, you know, and you, exactly. you, you changed your sport with the, with the season. Um, 
and if you, if you chose to be, let's say, a basketball player year round, it was going to be hard to find somebody else that was going to do that with you at that time, you know, uh, in a small town. Today it's easier, uh, but there's, like you said, there's there's downsides to that, and there's the burnout factor, and there's there's certain, you know, you still got to get in your work, but you want kids that are going to compete, you know, and competing at a high level in something that you're not completely comfortable in, but still finding a way to win, I think just shows so much about who you are as a person. And, and I, and I think that's a great development thing. And ultimately what we're trying to do is to develop young people. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, your turn for headlines. Oops. There, push the wrong button. There we go. You can play, you can excel. A basketball player can excel in any type of offense. It doesn't have to be a one-on-one game. It can be a triangle. It can be a continuous offense. Um, like with Michael Jordan, when they had Doug Collins as his head coach for, what was that, his second through his fifth year? Uh, <laughs> around that ballpark Something area. like that. Yeah. I mean, for Doug Collins, it was kind of... They were the same people as Michael said. Doug Collins had high energy, easygoing, wanted MJ, what wanted exactly what MJ wanted. Um, did a ton of one-on-one stuff for Michael to be able to score at some of his highest career um, point totals per season. Mm-hmm. But then Michael had to adapt when Phil and Tex Winter took over to run the triangle. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have the ball in his hands all the time. And as Michael said, that was tough for him to get used to. Mm -hmm. But it also made him put more trust in his teammates. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in high school, someplace, sometimes you have that where you have that outstanding player that it is kind of one-on-one stuff. But then if, but you have to be able to adapt if something happens where everyone needs to be able to handle the ball, pass the ball, shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think sometimes you see it in high school where they have that D one, they have that one D one kid and they try to do a little too much and it hurts the team chemistry. It hurts, um, maybe the potential to go farther down the line. Mm-hmm. Farther in districts or state. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of had something related to what you said there towards the end, especially right. um, to to use the season to develop your entire team. You know, and and I thought it was really interesting. You know, and and they had, you know, the the first episode was all about Jordan. Second was Pippen, and they kind of went through all of the the big players. But I thought it was interesting in in as they went along. Well, here's how John Paxson fit in with everything. Well, here's how Wennington fit, fit into this. Uh, here's how Horace Grant filled in. And, 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 and Jackson, if you'll remember from those times, if you, if you watched the game or if you were old enough to remember these games, there'd be games where he would play 10 or 11 guys, you know, yeah. and work. Look, yeah, on that, I was, I was looking uh, today. So I was kind of just had them on when I was sitting here working and just kind of glancing up and down. I was like looking at their roster. I'm like, man, they talked about, I think it was the 97 when Judd Bushler came off the bench and he played 
a handful of minutes, and Michael walks up to him and goes, Judd, great job coming in and filling in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he, he was probably the tough guy off the bench. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or the segment that they talked about with Scott Burrell. You know, how, yeah. you know, you know, and, and Jordan pushed him, um, uh, you know, that type of thing. And, and, and I got something on that as well. Uh, but, you know, he, he Phil developed the entire team the entire time. And part of that was, you know, get the ball out of, out of uh, Michael's hands during the regular season to help develop these other guys so that when it came time, and it's really interesting, you think about it, three of their six championships in the clinching games, okay, their first championship, it was Paxson that hit all the shots in the fourth quarter to clinch it. Then, then Kerr hits the shot in 97 and, and then Paxson hit the shot in Phoenix in 93 because those guys had worked on that and they'd had game reps into hitting those shots and those rhythms. And again, these are great shooters. These are professional athletes, but you, okay. So Michael could have scored 35 every year instead of 30, you know, but he, it allowed the team to be better and it developed the whole team throughout the year. And I think sometimes, well, you know, we want to win by 25. Well, sometimes it's more effective to win by 15 and develop everybody throughout the team instead of just clearing it out for this one kid to take over and that type of thing. And you put, I mean, you put you put those people, and you do it in practice, you put those kids or players that come off the bench in those situations, say your best player has five, four fouls, and you've got to find a way to win without them. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think a lot of times, and I mean, I think we both talk to, we talk to a lot of coaches all the time, we talk to each other, but I think that's one thing that all of us coaches need to look at a little more. Sometimes we get too too developed into like our offense and defense during the season and trying to scout and figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make sure to always look at special situations with different personnel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I, I mean, I, I, some coaches may do it more than others. Some may not. Uh-huh. But it is something that you need to find those special situations. So when it does come to that point, in the end, where they're not guarding a John Paxson and he can score 18 points in the fourth quarter to win the game for you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome points. All right. Is it my turn? I think so. All right. So, Headlines! Okay, that was just a short one. Um, coaching does matter. Coaching does matter. And they had a lot of stuff with with Phil Jackson. And a lot of people just look at Phil Jackson, I think, historically, and they go, well, this guy won 11 championships, and it was really easy. And, you know, he had Michael and, and Scotty, and then he had Shaq and Kobe and, you know, all that stuff. But this is a guy, I mean, he coached in Puerto Rico. He was... Uh, he coached, you know, it was crazy. You know, they're talking about how, uh, one of the owners shot one of the referees in the arm or something crazy like that. I mean, that's insane. You know, um, you know, he, he coached in the CBA, the old CBA, which I remember watching those games on ESPN at like, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon at times and stuff. And, um, you know, this guy was really, really smart, um, and, 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 and he, he is uh, a really underrated coach 
and it not only uh, X's and O's, but the way he he handled his team. And I think one of the things, and this was another thing on my list, and I'll kind of tie it in with this one. Uh, you know, you coach everybody the same, but you coach everybody differently, and you treat everybody differently. You treat everybody the same, but you treat everybody differently. And you know, the obvious one is is Rodman, but but he. He coached Michael differently, but he still held Michael accountable. You know, they told the story about him punching Steve Kerr, you know, but he kicked Michael out of practice right away, you know, after he did that. You know, um, he talked about, you know, I forget which episode it was, but Pippen had the holdout. And he was like, I get it. If I were you, I'd be kind of feeling the same way. And he was able to manage those things. Or or last night they talked about how Rodman, and and I'm not not forgiving Rodman for his foibles, foils. He was a knucklehead a lot of the time. Um, but he takes off and he misses practice because he's at some wrestling thing in the middle of the finals. But if you'll notice when they went to the press scrum, he said, well, you guys are the one and they're making that a big deal out of it. Um, you know, you guys are the ones that are making a big deal out of it. We don't care. We're not making a big deal out of it. But right before that, he said, you know, basically you brought dishonor or something to us all, Dennis, or something like that, you know. So he had this way of managing these egos and coaching everybody the same, but coaching everybody differently, and then had the technical know-how to implement what he wanted, and he stuck to his guns uh, when he did that. And I thought that was really fascinating. I also thought another kind of winner in the in the in the doc was Chuck Daly, and he's kind of forgotten as to how good of a coach he was as well. So. Yeah, I mean, with Phil, he did so many things. Like you said, he connected with each player on a different different level. I mean, and held them to a different standard each time, or each person to a different standard, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, he may not have known all the X's and O's, and I mean, and that's where, as a head coach, you need to have great assistance. I mean, Tex Winters, one of the best assistants ever. Yeah. And he taught Phil pretty much everything for the NBA anyway, as an assistant and all the way up. And I mean, you have to, as a coach, besides dealing with personalities, you've got to have a good staff that you can be able to trust in to be able to help you handle those situations or certain type of players. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and and having people that you trust around you um, and and having their uh, depth of knowledge You'll notice another thing, and it's just kind of the circumstance. Uh, Tex Winter, older guy, he'd seen and done everything. You know, Johnny Bach, the same way, seen and done everything. And and I think that was those guys probably helped Phil a lot in in managing those things, or helped him with the technical aspects of the game as he was trying to figure everything out. Right. So that was that was my next one. All right. So you're up, right? Yep. Headlines. All right. Leadership can come in multiple ways from multiple people. Doesn't always have to come from the head coach, but it can come from players in different ways. Like they, like we've said with Jordan, where he punched Kerr, he and how he harped on Scotty Burrell all the time. Um, certain players lead in certain ways. Jordan was that kind of, as he said, a tyrant. And he wasn't the nice guy. And I mean, Will Purdue and BJ Armstrong said it the best. 
no, he wasn't the nicest person. He wasn't your friend on the court because he wanted you the best out of you to get you to the championship. Okay. But then, can, but then can, oh, can, 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 well, I want to throw something in on there. And this is kind of the, the un, unknown question. We don't know this until the point where we get everybody back together. But here's one of the things, kind of one of the perhaps negative byproducts of this. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have a bunch of, you're going to have millions of, of, of players watching this doc and and it's probably on everybody's dvr and they're going to watch it over and over again because there's nothing else to watch in sports wise right now okay right right so here could be the one negative downside of this how and I'll, I'll just read it to you um how many players will try to be like mike leadership wise next year but it can only work for jordan because he's jordan you know, it worked because he was Michael Jordan. But yeah. how many other people are going to try that and go, well, that's what Jordan did. That's what I have to do. And it's like, well, no, it, it worked in this one circumstance. I hope it doesn't. I mean, but you, I mean, you're like you said, I think it will happen. Um, you've got, I mean, I could see, I could see it especially happening in like the college ranks. Mm-hmm. More more than the NBA, just because you're going to have those high level high school kids that are coming into a D1 school and think they're the man. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it'll hurt the game for your team, but then I also think you're going to see not that we already don't have a ton of transfers in. I mean, we're starting to see it in high school more or and in college. You're going to see more and more of that. I mean, what is it? College had over 400 kids transfer after like one or two years. Something like that, yeah. And are you – I mean, now are we going to start seeing that more at the high school level? I mean, we see it a little here and there. Mm-hmm. But are you going to have that happen when people try to do that in practice? Yeah. I just, I just think – yeah, you know, Jordan did lead by that. And yes, it helped them win six championships. But I also think there's going to be some kids that are going to go. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a, everything's a copycat. You see something or you hear about something, you know, and well, that's the way Jordan did it. And Kobe copied Jordan and Kobe won five championships, you know, two, yeah. two when he was the best player. So that's the way you must have to do it in order to win a championship. Well, no. And, and, you know, it only worked because those guys were who they were, you know, right. and and I just fear that you're, you're going to have some kids. And I, I think it's got to be a little bit on coach's radar that, you know, depending on your situation, you may have a kid that says, well, that's that's the way I have to act towards my teammates instead of, OK, no, this is not what we this is not what we need to do. And I think I think it also for a high school coach. Like uh, like we are, it also comes down to what's the dynamics of your team. Um, do you have a young team? Do you have an older team? Do you have two really good players? Do you have four good, really good players? Depending on how you handle the type of leadership you have in practice, mm-hmm. um, or on I mean games outside outside where you have team bonding leadership stuff, uh, and like. Like when Jordan left for that eighteen months, uh, I mean, Scotty. They said Scotty did a great job of being a leader, but it was totally different. I mean, 
Scotty was a quiet guy. He'd put an arm around somebody to get their confidence back up. Um, he'd share the ball more. They played. They played better together. Uh-huh. But but they also said we still needed someone with that fire, and we didn't have that fire in our practices or games to get a little more out of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I think for high school coaches, that's something you have to judge and you're going to know your players by the time they get to that varsity level on who's going to be that person that you can let maybe rip into somebody for a couple seconds for the right reason. Yeah. And not lose them. Yeah. Or you're, or you're willing to, Hey, you know what? If I get on you today, I, I just know I can get on you, you know, and you have that conversation yeah. beforehand and you know that you have players that, can take that and you have players that that struggle with it you know yep and you got to know you got to know who you have so um i also thought it was interesting (laughs) and this goes back to the first episode you've got you talked about good leadership um but you could also there's a such thing as bad leadership in the locker room you know and and jordan talked about what they call it the cocaine circus yeah, <laughs> I, I believe that was the first episode. There's yeah. there's such a thing as bad leadership in your locker room, don't you think? Oh yeah, you, I mean, I, I'm guessing we've both seen it over our years in coaching. I mean, it 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 makes it tougher for the head coach, and sometimes as a head coach, you're like, "What do I do? How mm-hmm. do I get this figured out?" And that's where you have to, like we were talking earlier about you have to have those great assistants that maybe can be able to connect to the players with you not around and get a little more of the story, find out what's going on. But that, I mean, if you're having bad leadership in the locker room, that's going to hurt dynamics for a while. I mean, they had 82 games. NBA has 82 games. That's a difference than our, than a high school level 20 game season where it could take 10 games to try to get those dynamics back to where they need to be. Yeah. And you're dealing with more mature, more committed people in the NBA level and, and that type right. of thing, you know. Now, again, there's different chemistry issues, the lifestyle, the uh, the opportunities for vice, so to speak, uh, as they as they talked about there. Um, and it, it, it took that again. And it kind of went back to something else that we talked about a little earlier, that that one one great player can turn around an entire program. And that's and that's kind of what happened with the Bulls there so all right headlines all right next one um i've got oh we'll talk about this one first um administration can be frustrating everywhere you know and in in this situation I, i think sometimes you know, when you have when you have good administration, you take it for for granted. When you have uh, a, a tough situation administratively, uh, it, it's it, you get frustrated. But you think it's it's not like this at, at, at West High or East High or North High or whatever. Um, but but there's 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 stuff that you have to deal with, and there's there's certain things that are that are out of your control. That no matter what you do or what you say. Uh, situations are are beyond your control as a coach and it happens at every level in every situation you know um in a, in a lot of different situations you know um you know you got uh reinsdorf and and kraus 
And, and I thought, you know, Kraus, Kraus took a lot of heat from this five week run here. And, and rightfully so. I mean, he, he did a lot of brilliant things, but then he did a lot of, a lot of dumb stuff. Like why, why, you know, uh, why do you keep going to a situation where, where these guys are just going to keep punching you in the face, so to speak? They, they were merciless towards him in many ways, but yet he kept putting himself on the team plane, on the team bus, all these other things. He kept putting himself in the thick of this, but then he would complain about the way that he was treated, you know? Um, but, you know, I thought the guy that, that should have gotten more blame for the the quote-unquote last dance was Reinsdorf like you had control you own the team you can do whatever you want to do and I thought he was a little bit too compliant with what happened and and just kind of said well okay do whatever you want to do and I get that that you don't want to be the meddling owner that is is looking over uh the basketball situation but at some point you got to go Look, we're we're on the brink of making more history here. Let's just keep writing this until it's done. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Um, I've I've seen polls on Twitter on this all day, and I know they've talked about it on sports shows about who's more to blame. And a lot of more people are on the side where you are, where Reinsdorf is the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I kind of agree, but I kind of think like. I think Kraus put himself in that situation because, like you said, he was he tried to be in everything and around everything. Mm-hmm. He was on the team plane, which maybe he maybe as the GM he could do that. Uh, maybe he was allowed to be on the bus and the planes and all that stuff all the time, and maybe that's how it was in the nineties. Now I don't think that happens as much. Yeah, but I think he put himself in that situation because he sometimes open his mouth and make dumb comments. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, that put the X on his back right away. Mm-hmm. But it's like at the ep- end of episode 10, hopefully we're not ruining this for anybody. Well, if they haven't seen it by now, there this, this, by the time this drops, if they haven't seen it, that's on them. So, yeah. But like where Reinsdorf said, he finally walked up to Phil after the 98 and said, Hey, how about you come back? Like, why didn't you do that during the middle of the year or during all-star break or somewhere and kind of just put the bug in his ear and try to see where, let him think about it for the next three months. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, you're going to pop that on him right now? Well, now he's probably tired of all the, everything that you guys have put him through. He's like, I don't want to come back to it. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a, a, a damning thing, you know. Uh, as a coach, you're you're even the 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 steadiest of hands are insecure at times. You know what yes. I mean, and that's yes. that's the best. You know, um, and so when you hear your boss say, even if you go eighty two and zero, you're not coming back next year. Or, you know, there was the clip where he said, you know, Phil is back, and him and Jerry worked it out, and blah 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 blah. blah. But this will be Phil's last year. You know. Um, I mean, that's just, I don't care who you are. That's a kick in the gut. Yeah. I mean, you're almost, I mean, I don't know. It's it's so hard to say because it's like, man, 
what are you doing to yourself and your organization? Mm-hmm. And then you're putting that on your players and the players' heads are spinning in circles because they don't totally know what's going on. Mm-hmm. It, then it just hurts the whole vibe, kind of like where we were talking a little bit ago about chemistry. Yeah. It's like the administration hurt that chemistry. Yeah. More than, more than anything else. And, and, and you, they, I'm, those guys had to have a mental countdown in their head. I thought it was really one of my favorite parts of the whole thing was the last five minutes where they talked about how they got together and they uh, burnt, they, 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 they wrote their notes to, to one another, whatever, and they, yeah. read that, and they read them and then they burnt them. So there was, there was a, an obvious team bond, you know, you know, in that regard. But so, so if you've gone through this journey together for as long as they have, as, as, as intense as it was, um, and you're trying to, to do this and try to do the best that you can, but you have that message coming down from the top, from above you, it's in, it's in many ways incredible that they were able to accomplish what they did under those circumstances, under that, those high stakes. Right. And I mean, with Rodman going off on his vacations and Pippen being out, I mean, having to fill roles and people step up and then showing what they did when everyone was, when they all were on the floor, it just showed how great they are mm-hmm. and how, how long, how much they actually got along, how much they got along. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Now I'm, I'm going to say one thing in defense of, of Jerry Krause and, and Reinsdorf, okay? Um, one of the things that happened, and I don't know if people remember this, but one of the things that happened in the early 90s was Bird, McHale, Parrish all stayed with the Celtics pretty much through their career. Bird and McHale retired as Celtics, and Parrish hung on. He was actually on. He got like a little two-second cut walking into the arena in 98 there. He was on the end of the bench, I believe. Um, yeah. But they were heavily criticized for not moving on from Bird, McHale, Parrish quick enough. Like, they held on to them too long. And that was a story that, that hung around for a long time, um, that, that, that they did not basically do what Belichick has done oh, year in and year out, which is, I'm going to let you go one year too early instead of one year too late for the good of the, the franchise. And that, if people really remember, that was still in, fresh in the minds of, of many NBA people during that time period. Um, and the Celtics, they, you know, after that, they went, you know, they had a little run like in 2002 where they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals when the Eastern Conference was really, really bad. And then they didn't do anything again until like 2008 when they won it after they had only won like 20 year, 20 games the year before. So they went through this huge, almost 20 year drought because they didn't move on from McHale bird and Parrish soon enough. And I think that was part of the thinking of Kraus and Reinsdorf is, well, if we want to make this, you know, what we eventually saw with the Spurs or what we've seen in the NFL with uh, the Patriots, We've got to move on from this faster. So that is the one defense I can throw out there for the last dance mentality. Was that Celtics year? Was that their last year when the Pistons were on their little two-year run? Um, that the they knocked them out in '88. Okay. 
that was 88. That was in the Eastern when the Celtics walked off instead of the Pistons. Um, And that's when Isaiah, you know, copied it, but it was totally different. We'll get to that in a little bit. I got some stuff I want to talk about there too. So, um, but yeah, and then they, they made it to like the second round of the playoffs a couple of times after that, but that was their, after 88, they never made a legit run at the title um, again for 20 years, basically. Right. So I will say that in defense as a basketball nerd. That is, I mean, that is true. I mean, and that's, and it's been in discussion on TV today too. If they all would have came back with the bulls won their seventh the next year. And some people laugh at it saying they're too old. And they didn't have enough depth to be able to do it. I don't know if you got Michael Jordan, I'll put my money on Michael Jordan any day. I think. Agree. Agree. So I mean, so, I mean it's, you're right, and I think other people are right, too. I mean, I think, do you hold on that long, or do you go ahead and make a change and switch things up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that, that's our two cents worth on that one. So, um, your turn, right? Yep. All right. Headlines! Go ahead. All right, we kind of talked about this on my first one, but this one kind of talks a little more about the weight room and extra work outside of practices help mm-hmm. and make you better. Uh, and I think, I think high school sports are getting better at it. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say sports basketball is getting better at using the weight room, but I think it needs to be um, something they can do more often just for not to make yourself big, big or anything like that but to be able to sustain more durability mm-hmm. uh, as you I mean like we're, they showed the part where this was all more more on Jordan than the coaches but as soon as they lost the Pistons that first time they didn't take a break and he got everyone together and they were in the weight room and they were shooting doing extra shots working out together doing those little things to not lose to them again. Yeah. And I think the weight room, as I said, is getting more and more used, but I think it's one thing that needs to be done even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just to, just to have that explosiveness, uh, to have that durability, to be able to, you know, you're going to the rim and you get hit. And instead of it just being two free throws, it's an and one because you're able to go up and through it as an example. Right. Right. And I think that just, I mean, I think the physical strength's the key thing. Everyone does all the conditioning and the agility drills and all that stuff to get your quickness, which is awesome and great. But I think you need that upper body strength more and more every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of had the same thing in a different way. Uh, winning doesn't happen by accident. It takes a huge commitment. You know, and, and that commitment, like you said, um, the Bulls, and this is this is the way it is with with most teams. It's in the big scheme of things, you can go from bad to average, and then from average to good fairly quickly with the right mix of kids and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy, but you can make that progression. You know, if if you if you're in the right place at the right time with the right type of people. 
You know, that's that's the, my point is it's extremely difficult to go from good to great. It's it's hard to go from 16 wins to 18 wins. It's almost easier to go from four wins to 15 wins than it is to go from 15 to 17 or 18 uh, because of that extra commitment that you have to that you have to put in to get over that hump. And, it, and it's not an accident. It takes a concerted effort and a concerted focus to put you at that point. Um, and, and that's, and that's what the bulls had to do. And, and the, you know, the Pistons kind of drove them to that point, but it took years of, of, of getting their butts kicked by the Pistons, both on the scoreboard and literally physically on the court. Um, to put them at that point. Right. And then, I mean, on that point is not just weight room, but like those role players you've got to put in, if you're not one of the starting five or you're not the best, one of the best two players that maybe already have some of those physical attributes naturally, you've got to be able to put in the time. I mean, they showed clips when they were talking a little about Steve Kerr and his family, like how much time he spent in the gym just to prove to Jordan that he wanted it. Mm-hmm. Or the extra shots that Paxton put up to show, hey, you can trust me when you pass me the ball. Um, it's just those little things to try to show your coaches, maybe not your players, that, hey, I do want this. I want to be in that rotation or I want to be that starting in that starting five. Yeah. Just putting that little extra work in. Yeah, and 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 those those reps are so... Uh, vitally important to the growth of you as an individual, and if you're growing as an individual, you 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 grow the team even more. So, exactly. Yep. All right. My turn. Yep. Headlines. All right. Um. Here's my next one. Every team deals with crap, and I think, kind of like in a couple of other things. Uh, that we've talked about, uh, you had the situation with uh, Rodman being being Rodman. You had the situation with um, Scottie Pippen the year that that Michael was out, um, and the the one point eight game where where he yeah. wouldn't go in the game, you know, and those type of things. Uh, you know, Jordan talked about how he was mad at Pippen for sitting out the 35 games or whatever it was at the beginning of the year with his foot surgery that he could have had done, a, you know, a long time before that. You know, and 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 whatever other things that happened that that we were not privy to to uh, to see in the in the documentary. Um, but along, so, so so every team has their issues. You know, I coached for for 24 years um, and maybe, I don't know. And, and most of those years were really, really successful years. And maybe out of those 24 years, maybe four or five of those years, there wasn't some stuff that happened in the locker room that you had to work your way through some things to get to, to where you wanted the group to go, you know, in some way, shape or form. Uh, whether whether it was a personality thing or people complaining about playing time or whatever, so 
every locker room, every team, every group has adversity, um, and they deal with crap. Uh, but associated with that, if your team chemistry and culture is is solid and you have a solid foundation, you can work through it. And I think that's the difference between bad teams being average in a lot of times and average teams being good teams and good teams being great teams is overcoming all of that non-basketball stuff that occurs in between the lines. Yeah, and I mean, and on that, I think some, I mean, a lot of like maybe fans or some people or some players will go, well, it happens to bad teams. It doesn't happen to good teams. Like everything's always fine and dandy with a good team. That's, I think, I think there's, I think you can see sometimes more dissension with good teams than you see with bad teams. Yes. Just because they get to a certain point in the season or a certain situation and kind of like where the Scotty thing where he got taken out knowing he's the best player and it caused that little rift. But at the end of the game, what happened? Bill Cartwright, the Cartwright, the old, the probably the senior citizen on the team. <laughs> he definitely had a senior citizen's voice. That's for sure. You know, yeah. <sighs> Scotty, Scotty. So, yeah. So he got up and talked about it. And I mean, I think that's the key there. One of the keys is it does. It's not just doesn't just happen to bad teams. It happens to all teams, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But they were able to overcome it. They were able you, to yes, put it behind. You've, them. Got, you've got to be able to manage that and find a way to make it better. Mm hmm. So much of it. And again, I think this kind of comes back to Chuck Daly and Phil Jackson and and other you know really good coaches uh the long time successful coaches you know it's more at, at times coaching is more about managing personalities than it is x's and o's and yeah. and getting everybody on the same page and and when you have those inevitable issues that you're prepared for it and that you you know it's kind of like you, you sit there and you think well how am i going to handle it if we're down two with seven seconds left and we've got the ball out underneath our basket. Well, you need to think about that because you want to make that decision long before you get into that pressure point. But exactly. also think about, okay, what am I going to do if I have a kid that gets in trouble academically? How am I going to handle that? Or uh, how am I going to handle uh, looking ahead? You know, I don't, I don't think uh, Jimmy or Jenny is going to play a lot this year but I know their parents are going to have a hard time handling that. How am I going to handle that inevitable email or phone call if that were to come about? Um, you know, those are things that you have to think ahead to as well, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't want to jump too far into the future or I don't know how to, I don't know if it's future, but you don't want to jump too far ahead of yourself. But you've always got to have something at least written out or ready to go so you're like okay how do i handle this if this does happen yeah um just so you're prepared because there i'm i'm guessing both of us have been situations where something happens and you're like you're telling me who did this <laughs> yeah like what happened why did this happen i mean so it puts you in that situation it's like it could be someone you're not expecting mm -hmm. or you have the you have a 
not a full Rodman situation, but someone forgets about a practice or a shoot around before a game. Yeah. And, sh- and doesn't show up and it's a starter, one of your best players. How do you handle that situation? Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it is and you 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 have to uh, take those things and understand that those things happen and you have to prepare for those inevitabilities because you think everything's just going to go hunky-dory, but it's not. You're going to have your stuff. You're, more often than not, you're going to have stuff to deal with rather than not having stuff to deal with. And you and you hope that you don't have anything to deal with, but you prepare as if you do have to have stuff that, to deal with. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, it's your turn, Case. How many more do you have on your list? I've only got one left. I've got one left as well. That is crazy that we both had the same thing. All right. <laughs> so, headlines! Go ahead. Competitiveness has to start at a young age. Um, Jordan said that, and I totally agree with that. You, It's not just something you can find when you turn... 15 when you get to high school and say, oh, I'm going to be competitive now. Competition, I think, needs to start at a young age. Let it be in academics, um, at basketball practice. And I always think, I mean, the competition, I love how Jordan said it, almost turned into fistfights with his brothers because they were so competitive all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a great thing for – every kid to have because um, you want to go out and compete every day. You want to, if you're the last person on the bench, you want to compete to find a way to move yourself into that top seven or whatever it is. Um, but you need to be able to compete to be able to get put yourself there. It doesn't matter if it's on the basketball court and academics or out in the real life. You always want to compete to make yourself better. Yeah. So your last one and my last one kind of lined up as well. It's crazy how much we've been alike on this. Um, you know, you're you're talking about competition. I I kind of I said I use the old Bob Knight mental is to physical as four is to one. Um, and the the mental toughness of of a okay. So if you take a look at, at you know more specifically Jordan's career arc, okay. He, he has to get the cocaine circus out of town, and they restructure the, the, the roster in that way. And, and then he has to overcome the Pistons, okay? And then he overcomes the Pistons, and then he, um, and then he wins the three titles with, like, the huge media, like, like he's the most— uh, I've tried to tell my students how famous Michael Jordan was, and it's just indescribable. Uh, the the Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson are still going to be the two most famous people that have walked the planet that that I can really recognize, other than you know like the president of the United States. But as an entertainer or an athlete, those are the two most famous people of my lifetime. And it's and it's, and it's it's to me it's impossible to explain. You know, LeBron is is world famous, but he's still not at that same level as those two were at the at the peak of their popularity and height and uh, uh, the height of their popularity. Like like LeBron goes to watch his kids play at AAU. Yeah, Michael could have never done that. No, no. I mean, just look when they went to the Dream Team went to Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, there was 
streets flooded where people couldn't even get cars down the road. I don't know. I don't, I don't see that ever happening for another professional athlete again. Yeah. Uh, or, or pop culture. If we want to throw I mean, if we want to go with Michael Jackson, I mean, pop culture wise, I don't think we see that. Yeah. It will, it will be hard anyway. It would, it would be very difficult. And, and so the mental toughness to get through all that. And then he has the death of his father, which was, was, terrible and sudden and, and I mean I know what that's like to lose a parent suddenly it's 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 awful um you know um and then he comes back and and they win three more and I thought one of the most fascinating statistics uh did you see this on the episode last night uh do you remember how many hall of famers did Jordan defeat in the playoffs in his career oh I do remember seeing that do you remember the was number it, was it four no, that's how many times he, he eliminated Ewing in the playoffs. Oh, that's what it was. Oh, I can't remember now. Who, who was it? 20. Really? Yeah. So I got a list here. These are all the people that Jordan knocked off in his in his career. Okay, and I'm going to reference uh, the book of basketball by Bill Simmons on a couple of things that we're going to do. Okay? So okay. He's, got, he's got the ranking. And, and some people may have seen like the, the, the ESPN – Last week had like the top 74 players ever. Yeah. Uh, well, Simmons did this in his book about 10 years ago, but it was one through 96. He had the 96 top ones. Okay. So he basically ended the careers or ended the, the championships aspirations of the following Isaiah Thomas, Barkley, Carl Malone, Elijah Wan. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Young Shaq, Larry Bird, Magic. Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, James Worthy, Gary Payton, Patrick Ewing, John Stockton, uh, Kevin McHale, David Robinson. And I'm sure I'm missing a couple there. You know, I kind of did it in a hurry. Um, But all of those guys, uh, Joe Dumars was another one. Did I say Dumars? No, you didn't. Yeah, Joe Dumars was another one. Uh, All of those guys never could get back in. And, and, to to it's it's hard to climb the mountaintop, but to stay there, and the toughness that it took to stay there, and 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 that is something that is so difficult to to teach, and, and you and you teach that in practice on a daily basis. That competitiveness, that competitive cauldron, as Anson Dorans calls it, um, you know, just that competition. And that that it's not a it's not a dirty word. It's a it's a good word. You know, don't you think? Yes. Oh, I totally agree. Like, um, I'll use one of Jordan's quotes. He said, "Was if you go earn it, if you want something, you've got to work hard for it." Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like it's going to get handed to you. And he worked his butt off to be able to do it. I mean, from basketball to trying to play baseball. I mean, I don't know if. Terry Francona was thinking, but is he right that if Jordan would have kept on playing, would he have been in the major leagues? <sighs> but, but I mean, yeah. that's a, that's a stretch, I think. Yeah. But I mean, they said his work ethic to be able to do that and try to compete to beat everybody was unreal. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, that's the only reason he stayed on top because he said, I'm going to be better than everybody else. Yeah. And yeah. he put in the time. I mean, six six championships in eight years. And, man, how much time did he put in daily? Yeah. 
I mean, look at when he was when he was filming Space Jam. What they say they'd have to be on set like at seven a.m. and go till like six p.m. and then they play basketball. Yeah, bring all the stars out there for four hours to play basketball and then get up and do it again the next day. Yeah, day after day after day for two months or whatever. Right, and that's I mean that just doesn't happen to someone that just wants to be at the middle of the mountain and maybe win one title. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, all right. Awesome. You want to keep going on some stuff? Sure. Okay. I want to throw a couple things at you. Um, I, I I went back and looked, and and where do where do the bowls fit historically? That's going to be a huge, a huge discussion as this goes through. Are are they the greatest NBA dynasty ever? Blah blah blah. This that and the other thing. So I did. I came up with a formula. Okay. Now here's a fascinating thing. In from 1980 when Magic came into the league until 1998 when Jordan left. 18 of the 19 championships were won by five franchises. Which is crazy. Okay? Yeah. The Bulls won 6, the Lakers won 5, Boston won 3. Detroit won two, Houston won two, and then the the one team that won one championship. Do you remember who it was? I was going to say the Seventy Sixers, but that would be. I'm thinking earlier than that. No, you are actually correct. Stay with your yeah. gut, man. Stay with your gut. 1983 Seventy Sixers. Okay. Yeah, that was the the faux 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 Moses yeah. Malone group. So. So you have five you have five franchises that won that won uh, eighteen of the nineteen championships during that era. Okay, so the, the the Jordan years essentially. All right. So if you were to go from five to one, how would you rank those five teams? Houston, Detroit, Boston, L.A., Chicago. I got Chicago one. Lakers, Celtics, Rockets, Pistons. Oh, you put the Rockets ahead of the Pistons. Yes. Why is that? I th- I think they were more. I think they were, they had five, maybe not five Hall of Famers, but they had five dudes that I think that the Pistons had. Pistons were good because they just beat up on people. Like, to me, their offense, they didn't have anything offensively to be able to keep up with the Rockets. And I know it's maybe a different era. Well, it's not too far off. It's only about a five-year span. But I think the Rockets just had more. And I think Elijah was better. They didn't have anybody that could guard Elijah Sure. So, I mean, I think there. And then I know Clyde Drexler was, he was on that title, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. He was he was getting older, but he was still so darn athletic. He yeah. could do so many things. I mean, even at an old age, an older age, he was good. Yeah, but I think Elijah wants a huge difference. I mean, he he was so good in the post, and I don't think James Edwards or Lambeer, I don't know who they'd match up on him, but I don't think they'd be able to guard him. 
Okay. All right. So I came up with a formula. I spent way too much time on this. <laughs> I spent way too much time on this. All right. So I took individual accomplishments or individual players from the Bill Simmons book. Okay. Yep. All right. So, and, and that list would probably change a little bit. The, the book is 10 years old, but all of these teams were kind of, it, it's not going to change that much. Like I compared the Bill Simmons list to the ESPN list from last week and they were remarkably close. There'd be a, you know, there was a couple of them that you were like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a little off. Um, so, um, so I came up with, um, a, a, a somewhat scientific, um, way of coming up with how to rank these teams statistically using this. All right. So here's what I did is I went through and I found all the players from that team that, that were on Simmons's list. Okay. So I'll just use the Celtics of the eighties. All right. Robert Parrish was 59. Dennis Johnson was 52. Uh, Mikhail was 35, so forth and so on. All right. Okay. So I added all those numbers up. Now there were two, outliers here within my my ranking system here bill walton was ranked 27th but i i penalized him 1.5 so i took 27 you know as a 1.5 so he actually got a, a, a ranking of 40 because he at that point of his career he was only playing like 20 minutes a game and he was coming off the bench so even at that stage he really and he was only really with him for one year so right. I, so i so i kind of use that so i came up with a number and so Parrish 59, DJ 52, Walton 40, McHale 35, Bird 5. Okay, that added up to 191. Okay? okay. Divide that by 5. That's 38.2. Okay? Yep. Then I went into the, to the greatest teams list. Okay? The top 10 teams that Simmons had of all time. And the Celtics, the 86 Celtics were considered the greatest one-year team ever. So I added a point to that list. And that had added up to 192, and I divided that by 6. So that gave them 32. Okay, this is way, getting way too nerdy math for, for me. All right? right? So, again, I told you I, I spent way too much bad math time on this. So, yeah. so now I'm at 32. I took – now you want a low number, okay? I took two points off of that 32 for every championship that they won. Okay? So – so 32, the Celtics won three championships. So they went from 32 to 26 from their three championships. And I took one point off for every time they lost in the finals, which they lost twice in the finals. Okay. okay. So they came up with a sum number of 24. So it's like golf. You want a low number. Okay. Does, okay. That, does that all make sense? Yeah. All right. So going from five to one using my highly scientific theory. All right. The, the Houston was fifth with a score of 72 because they had they had they had Elijah Wan, they had Drexler and then they had Robert Ori okay but I gave them plus 30 points because they didn't have an all-time team they weren't in the, they weren't even honorable mention their two back-to-back teams okay right. so they ended up with a number of 72 all right 
using that same formula, Detroit was fourth. They ended up with 42.2 on average. Okay. The Celtics were third, 24. And then, so we're down to the last two, the Bulls and the Lakers. The Bulls actually ended up second with 4.5. And the Lakers actually had a negative number, negative 4.125. Because they were they were in the finals so much. Yeah. And they had Kareem, who I had number four. And he was the other one that I took the... the the uh, 1.5 to because his last their last couple of championships he was starting but he was only playing about half the game as well he wasn't playing much yeah exactly so i multiplied now he's still number four all time so even with that 1.5 he's still the six he gave him a score of six yeah and they got a bunch of points taken off them and the bulls were pretty even until you took off all their fine i mean they were in the finals nine times in 11 years it's because the West was so bad in the, that time, that era. Yeah, and that helped. That that helped them a ton in the. But still, you got to get there. It's like we we talked about with you Jordan. Got, you still got to get there. You got to get there. I, yeah, but the West was West. I mean, the East was much better. But I see what you're saying. Yes. So, that was my scientific rankings that I that I came up with. And I actually came up with the with the the finals appearances or the championships and the finals appearances. I came up with that like a half hour before we started. I was in the shower thinking about this again. I spent way too much time on this. This tells you where my mind has been and how little sports has been in our world here the last uh, the last two months. Yeah. So, does that scientifically prove it? Probably not, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to give you an A for math class this week. <laughs> it's the most math I've done since I refinanced my house eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? Agree with me. Disagree with me. Uh, but when I ranked mine, I mean, we weren't, I mean, I guess we flip-flopped two teams, but I don't think it's, I mean. I think Detroit was better than Houston. Because they weren't great offensively, but they were so versatile defensively. Yeah, I mean, I think the I mean the the Rockets ninety three ninety four team was better than their ninety four ninety five team. Agreed. I mean, Otis Thorpe is there, and I know he was old. I mean, Kenny Smith was younger, but they didn't have they didn't have Clyde though either on that ninety. I mean, on that ninety three ninety four team. Yeah. But they, Elijah Wan was at the peak of his powers. And, and people, you know, again, you go back to the Jordan thing. Elijah Wan was the unanimous number one pick over Jordan. And nobody has ever blamed Houston for not taking Jordan. It's always Portland that's grilled for taking, for taking, for not taking Jordan, for taking Sam Bowie. You know, well, so. Sam didn't turn out to be anything. No. No, that that's a that's a generous statement to say yeah. that he didn't turn out yeah. to be anything. So, I I just think that those Detroit teams were really really good, and I think the league was better in eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven than it was in ninety three, ninety four. I, I think the Rockets kind of pay the the no Jordan tax. Oh yeah, and Shaq and the Magic were good, but they were so young they weren't there yet. Yeah, they were. I mean, kind they made the finals in one of them, but. They weren't the team that 
I mean, they've never got over that hump. Yeah. Yeah. And there was no, like the Bulls, it, it's it's all about rivalry. You, you rank things by rivalries. The Celtics had the Lakers and vice versa. The Bulls had the had the Pistons and vice versa. Um, and the, and the Bulls were so dominant for such a long period of time that they're in the category all by themselves. But for those two Houston championships, what great teams did they have to go through to do what they did? Yeah. It was, I mean, the thing is, though, those, those Rockets, the Rockets, they were the five seed and the four seed in both those years. Yeah. I mean, they had to be the three seed and the two seed one year. Uh, I guess the I guess the first year they won they were the one seed, but the ninety four ninety five year they had to beat the Tim Duncan and David Robinson Spurs just to be able to make it there. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have home court that that second year. Yeah. So, but again, Elijah Wan was so good during that uh, time. I mean, he just yeah, yeah. He, he was, was he's he was above average anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing. Last thing. Unless, do you have anything else you want to cover? No, I don't. Okay. Does this documentary re-cement the GOAT status of Jordan? Yes, but I think it might. Some things may hurt him more. What way? Like, what do you think? Well, I think just some of the stories, like off the court stuff, um, I could see that. Maybe some of the way the way he carried himself in practice with players, I could see that possibly being an issue. But otherwise, I think it, I, I mean, to me, it puts a stamp on it for sure that he is the best ever. I think so too, and and I I had wavered back and forth. You know, um, especially like when LeBron led Cleveland over uh, Golden State that that one year when they were the seventy three win team. Yep. But it was literally I watched four hundred and eighty eight minutes of this whole documentary twice, um, and last night the in the last two minutes they had the Pearl Jam song playing. You know. Yeah. And they had a one-minute montage, okay? And and here in this one minute, okay, here's what they had with Jordan, okay? And this is this is and there were more clips than this, but close your eyes and visualize each one of these things, all right? And here here's what they were in order in that montage: the first dunk contest, okay. His second contest, his second dunk contest, the come fly with me. So you know exactly yeah. okay. The free throw line dunk in Chicago. Okay. The Elo shot. The the hand switch against the Lakers. Oh, what an incredible move by Michael. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The sixty three point game. The spin move against the Knicks where he kind of did the little thing on the baseline and spun and then went up and dunked on Ewing. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the F U to, uh, Xavier McDaniel, the the shrug, the, the food poisoning game. 
crying with his dad with the first title, crying in the locker room after the fourth title on Father's Day, and then okay. and then the shot over Byron Russell. Brian Russell, however you say it. Right. Every one of those images, you can say, Hey, do you remember the do you remember the shrug? And you're like, yeah, I can see it plain as day. Do you remember the switch in the hands? Yeah. Do you remember Come Fly With Me? Boom, 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 boom. All of those iconic moments. And to me, I mean, LeBron is great. He's awesome. He's unbelievable. But you have the block. You have the the dunk against the Pistons. And, you know, but he just doesn't have that iconic, like wherewithal and again i'm older i get it this is kind of my high school college young adulthood era um but that's you know that just seals seals it for me in a lot of ways what do you think oh i i totally agree i mean lebron has a couple iconic moments i mean just going off of what he had i mean where people are comparing him to he has a couple of those moments like you said but otherwise i mean you just named off what, 15 One, Jordan two, moments? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 13. 13. That Jordan had moments like that. Yeah. It's just, I mean, who does that? <laughs> Besides them. No. <laughs> just the goat. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, and I don't, I don't think, I mean, LeBron's 35 now. I think so. I mean, even if he plays for another four years, he's not going to be able to get those type of moments. I yeah. mean, he might have an opportunity, but he'll never catch up to what Jordan did. Yeah. And just Jordan, Jordan, and, and I think they did a good job of pointing out his failures. And you could say LeBron in some ways has handled fame better than Jordan did. Um, you know, LeBron never walked away from it the way Jordan did and and I know Jordan had his reasons why he did. I mean, I get it. Um, you know, Jordan is a little bit tainted uh, by the gambling accusations, which I had kind of forgotten about um, how bad that looked on the surface. Uh, you've never had a scandal like that with LeBron. You know, no. The the worst thing that's ever happened with LeBron would probably be what with the decision, but that was just a bad way to present a business opportunity it wasn't you know why is the most famous athlete in the world hanging around with dudes like this yeah and i think that i mean that's his competitiveness he wanted to do it any way he could yeah so i I think lebron has had a had a a little bit of a cleaner sheet per se than jordan has and you know, endured probably more criticism than Jordan has. I thought it was a little bit, um, you know, Jordan said, well, they're criticizing me because of my gambling and because of my personal life. But, dude, that's the only thing you ever got criticized for ever. Otherwise, no, you you know, nobody really reported anything poorly on you. You, you know, the the worst case of of unbiased or, or super biased journalism you remember last night they're getting ready for game seven against the pacers and ahmad rashad is sitting in the locker room with mj before game seven but he's supposed to be a neutral sideline reporter yeah you know yeah 
LeBron's had to go through a lot worse in that. Oh yeah, I think. Yeah, I I agree. So, but I, I I I don't know. That's at that point when I was watching it last night, I was like, oh my gosh, that's just unbelievable. Everything that those memories and and that those just those uh, iconic moments over and over and over again in different circumstances makes him the greatest in my opinion. Oh, by far, by far, I I agree. And I mean, we may get to people that are older than us that'll say, well, what about Wilt or someone like that? But Oscar, Jerry West. Oscar, yeah, Jerry West, Dr. J. I mean, you're going to get people that may throw those out there, but I mean, if on any highlights that are, that are around, they don't even have moments like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that many of moments, I guess you could say. Correct. Yeah. All those great players have moments. You, you know, Havlicek steals it, or Jerry West hitting the half quarter to put that game into overtime, and I think it was the 69 or 70 finals, something like that, you know. And, and granted, you don't have the media, you don't have the technology, you know, games aren't on tape delay anymore like they were. Um, I get that, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, probably about the closest you would have would probably be Dr. J. I think and I, I, he might be the closest one, but how many titles did he win? Just two? Just the one. Just the one. Just the one. Okay. So that, I mean, that kind of puts, and I hate to say damper on his legacy, but just because he didn't win as many, but he still also didn't have those moments that Jordan did either. Yeah. Yeah. So, or, or the moments that we could see, like you said, yeah. you know, um, the, the benefit for us now is we got to see everything Jordan did. Oh, and one of the one of the moments I forgot to mention. Oh yeah, he he hit a he hit a shot to win the national championship as a freshman in college. Oh yeah, that, that's kind of a big one as a freshman. Yeah. Oh yeah. Kind of... Oh yeah. <laughs> when, when when you hit a shot to win a national championship in college, and all you go is oh yeah, he did that too. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you've you've done all right for yourself. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Casey, this was awesome, man. Did you have fun? Yeah, I had a good time. Yeah, this was this was awesome to talk about. So, um, wanted to try something different. Thanks so much for coming along with the ride with, with me here uh, to to jumping in and giving this a go here today. Yeah, I had fun. It's always nice to hear different point of views and the way different people see things differently too. Yeah, awesome. So, well, let's see where we're at in a month or so. We'll see how this goes over. We'll see how you know, folks. Let me know what you think of this concept, what we talked about here today, um, and, you know, give us some feedback here, uh, either on Twitter, a pen and a napkin, or you can email us, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, and, and let us know what you thought of today's podcast. Uh, we, I wanted to try something new, something different. Uh, my good friend Casey, uh, like I said, I'm really thankful for him for, for going along with the ride here, and, and uh, you know, I had a great time, buddy. I did too, bud. All right. Well, coaches, as always, be sure to hone your craft one day at a time. <laughs>